This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number seven of Let's Get Real on Film Geek Radio. I'm Andrew Johnson, and this is the show on Film Geek Radio where we talk with filmmakers, producers, actors, writers, and other people in the business about their work. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Once again, my friend and CinemaFix co-host, Monica Castillo, will be providing today's interview. She had the opportunity to talk to Shane Carruth, the director of the new film Upstream Color. Some of you may be familiar with his last film. He made a super low-budget time travel movie called Primer, which did really well on the festival circuit and earned a cult following. It's a really cool little movie that showed just what you can do with a, with a tiny bit of money and a lot of creativity. He has a background in software engineering, not filmmaking, and everything I've heard about him suggests he's a really interesting guy. I unfortunately have not seen Upstream Color yet, but it's getting a lot of great buzz, and I'm very excited to share this interview with you. I'm not quite sure how to describe the plot of Upstream Color, if, if you're wondering what it's about. All that I know is that it involves a kidnapping and drugs and pigs and a parasite and love and relationships and, and, and everything occurs non-linearly. Uh, it stars Amy Simetz and Shane Carruth himself and it sounds really weird and really cool and uh, I should probably just shut up and play the interview. So without further ado, here's Monica Castillo talking to Shane Carruth about Upstream Color. them both very closely together. Um, there's a bit of a narrative change um, in terms of just structure. On uh, Primer, you kind of keep to just one storyline. Upstream color, it's multiple, it's layered. It kind of melts one into the next. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided to take your storytelling that way? Um, sure. <laughs> but I, that's the thing is like I don't see them. I don't see them connected at all. Um, I sort of, I'm really, you know, I, I couldn't be more grateful about what happened with Primer, that it ever actually, you know, that it did what it did and that anybody ever even appreciated it, but I'm, I'm sort of insecure about it. Uh, you want to, like, distance? A bit. It's or, like, like I, make different movies every time? Well, sort of. I'm, I'm very grateful for what happened, but I, I, it's sort of like a project that all I see is the rough edges. Sort of feels like something that was done, you know, in middle school, and um, I, I don't, you know, I'm insecure about it representing everything about what I'd like to do. I feel almost the exact opposite about Upstream Color. I could not be more proud of what it is and how it works and the direction that it's moving. Um, I think it's, it has a lot of ambition, and um, it's it's the sort of thing that I will continue to do. Um, I mean, I'm writing something now, and it's basically continuing that same language um, and structure 
uh, and how it all works. So uh, I'm not sure how they're connected. Um, so I, I are you just building upon, so you're saying your next project is a little closer to upstream color in oh, that sense? Definitely. So maybe you're kind of finding, I don't know, your cinematic language That's there. probably true, yeah. yeah. I mean, not, 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 you know, not purposely, not like, oh, I've got to find a new language to, yeah. <laughs> but it, it just, it's something that happened and I, um, I'm, you know, only recently have I had to start, or been able to verbalize it because you know it just was something that made sense and now I'm understanding I think that there's just there I want there always to be a core architecture to the story like something that the parts of it the, the plot and the, and, the, and the subtext and the exploration the stuff of it that you could take away and repurpose in some other form like like the tortoise and the hare could be told like a thousand different ways um but it's it's at its core the same story and it's about the same things I think if you took that about upstream and took it away you can still do that but the execution of the film is incredibly I think very lyrical and um, almost you know it, it, it's it's what the film needs to be every second as it goes by there's you know the first third of it is very very controlled and locked down for the most part because what's happening on screen is very controlled and then the middle third when we have our characters that are we're just basically seeing the repercussions of what we know they've gone through but they don't quite know and it becomes much more subjective and um, much more personal and the cinematic mode changes and fit, like, tries to fit that it becomes almost I mean, there's moments of it that become almost like a found footage film and very verite um, and then the last third is uh, just a complete departure just completely flips over and uh, so anyways I think it's it's the architecture, and then having the the story so well internalized in the minds of the filmmakers that we can go off and make these these choices that are um, maybe are a little bit unconventional and lyrical. Do you have fun playing with symbols? It's upstream color. It's filled with symbolism. Yeah. Um, do you like I don't know creating those different strands throughout the film? I guess I do. Uh, yeah. yeah, I never thought about it in terms of whether I enjoy it or not, um, because it just seems to be something that's necessary. You know, if okay. you're, it's a, if you're striving to, to do film literature, then you know these are one of the these are the tools that we have um, that everybody sort of recognizes and you can use. So, um, but yeah, it is enjoyable. It's like a, I, I, I've really gotten to the point where I really enjoy writing. Um, yeah. And now, do you ascribe meaning to those symbols, or do you leave it open to the audience to put in their own? Um, no, there's everything is there for a purpose and a reason. And if I've done my job well, it the meaning of everything will be relatively veiled, but it should there should only be one possible conclusion or solution that will make it all balance out. Is my hope. I, I definitely am not like just throwing up random things and expecting an audience to decide what it means. That's not what I'm doing. But at the same time, if you're if you're telling a story, I mean, you know, if, if you're at all being metaphorical, you are also purposely being a bit veiled, a bit obtuse, a bit puzzling. Like, it's part of it. Um, if it wasn't, then it wouldn't be a story. It would just be a straight thesis of, here's what I think of the world and how it works, and here's what I'm interested in. And that, that would be dry and boring, and no one would read or listen to that, and they shouldn't have to. Um, so I think it's just the puzzlement is part of it. Um, so, so my job becomes to make sure that it's, it's meaningful and that, that I stay diligent and I don't just capitalize on the idea that 
if you make something obtuse, people will find meaning in it. I don't believe in that. Oh. That's good, though. <laughs> um, so can we please talk about color? Mm-hmm. Because it's one of the things that really stuck with me about the movie is just what a gorgeous use of color you have in your film. Thank you. Um, how do you decide upon that? Do you plan it in advance or do you play with it in post? What is your method to get that? It's all, it is almost like a splash of color yeah. throughout and it like melts into the next one. Yeah. It's almost ethereal in that sense. Well, I mean, that's the thing is it starts way, way early with the writing because we... I mean, look, we have some color symbolism in this movie. So we've got two primary colors that are very, very important. And without going into, like, exactly why they're important, I mean, it's, it's blue and yellow. So if, if, if one were to look, they would see all of the things, and we were very diligent about this, all of the things that are blue as the, as the film progresses, um, uh, from folders to scarves to all sorts of other things. Um, and then we, we will eventually arise to a moment where yellow is the predominant color. And there's a reason why that happens the way that it happens. But from a cinematic mode, those are the those are the points we have to respect. So the color balancing or timing or cinematography has to has to recognize that. So that's that's like the guiding principle. And then the rest of it is, you know, probably something more nuanced, having to do with aesthetic and um, uh, you know whatever emotional emotional tone is trying to be hit at the moment. So it's almost unnatural through the use of just props on the set, colors that are painted on the walls. It's not any sort of filters or anything like that. Well, no, no, it is, but it, that's the thing. It, that's it what I mean. Mixed. Okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's gotcha. like the, the, I have to like okay. I I was this I was a cinematographer on this, uh-huh. so I needed to know the story. You know, I would say Tom Walker, the production designer, also. We need to know so well what it is that we're doing that when we have decisions to make on a day-by-day or weekly basis, we're making appropriate ones. I mean, there's. I knew that my, my lens system, I knew where I needed it to be to throw light into the, into the system and let it play around. So a lot of the things that happen in this film is... Because this guy comes out and he says, um, you know, his head is made of the same material as his son. We know that. Chris doesn't know that later on. She doesn't know she's had that experience. So whenever I want to suggest that she's having a moment of paranoia or suspicion or feeling like she's being affected off screen, one of the tools I can use is to throw a halo of light around her. And so I have to technically know that if I open up my f-stop on this certain lens, I will get this wonderful green hue that comes through. Um, and I know how to make it work. I know how to throw the light behind Amy's eye or Amy's head, and I know how to come around. I know how to make that happen. I know it's going to be green, which means I have to do something about the color of the rest of the scene. If I want that to go blue or tinge blue, I've got to do something with the rest of the scene to off-balance that. So it's like, that's what I mean. It's, it, it needs to be both holistic. It has to be holistic. It has to be like technical and... Um, uh, I don't know what's the other word. Uh, it, it just you just you have to be both a storyteller and a technician at the same time, or else yeah, so they can work together. Do you have any cinematic influences that you could particularly point to and say I kind of had this in mind working with upstream colors? It almost hit me like a Terrence Malick. That's why I was kind of wondering. You know, that's but it's a very faint hint. I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy that the second I recognize that I'm ripping somebody off or being influenced or whatever, I'll just switch it completely. Okay. So I'm sure that I am. I know that I am. Yeah. Because we all live in the same world and we're all affected by the same things. But I don't readily know what they are. 
Um, I, I think it's really nice to hear words, you know, like Malik or whatever. Um, it's. I'm worried though. It's, it has become the sort of thing. Like everybody seems to be saying. Like even David Lowry, whose film Anthem Body Saints, like he gets a lot of that as well. Yeah. That it's, I think it's partially the story and the use of nature and yeah. just the photography is so high quality. It's true. We just we call it Maliki. <laughs> right. What's so funny though is like it's it's become this sort of. Like, even Malik, before his work came out, you could point to, like, a lot of French cinematographers or, or a lot of other work that sort of would have would have been the precursor to that. So it's like, now we call it Malik. Who knows what we'll call it 20 years from now, yeah. what they called it back then. So, I mean, it's certainly not a bad thing at all. Um, but I wouldn't say that I was... I need to make this look like a Malik film. No. Like that never happened. <laughs> Do you have a favorite storyline? Storyline? Or at least an upstream color, a favorite scene? Favorite color? Yeah, I do. <laughs> My favorite is the 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 segment about the shared memories. Uh, I just there's, I mean, I know why I wrote it. I know why it's in there. But I, I have to admit, like, it still sort of affects me in a way that I can't really point to yet. Um, I, I mean, it, it, you know, it was it's meant to be in there for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you know, we've got these characters that are in communion without knowing it. They're, they're, they're having emotional experiences without being able to point to why. And so there's this mix-up of them. They, are, they don't know where one ends and the other begins, is the idea. And so, great, that serves the movie, that serves the plot, it you know, hopefully paints it in, in the proper way. But there's something about that that like, even personally feels something. I don't know what it is. Because it feels like when you're in a relationship with somebody... There is this, there's this, this romantic possibility of you know mixing up your stories. Oh, isn't that fun? Um, or mixing up your 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 just mixing up different parts of your life, and it can be interesting and really sort of wonderful. And then it can eventually turn into something else, or it has moments where it feels like something else. Where okay, well wait, but where's where's my identity? Like where do I where how do I contain the things that I know are me and not us? And that really affects me in some way. Um, so, yeah, that's my favorite scene. Okay. Now, uh, was it your idea to use the pigs as a sort of allegory, or did you just want to use pigs? <laughs> it was um, a fun, it was amusing to watch. It was almost like a little bit of humor, little piglets. Right. You know, in a serious, like, emotional bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they were picked purposely. Uh, yeah. It could have been something else, I guess, but... Um, I don't know. A lot of things went into it. That's the thing. Uh, there's always so many reasons, and then you just go into it. Um, I mean, it, I think it started with like the physiology is so common between a pig and a human. So, you know, the transference that we need. I mean, they, we transfer so many diseases and worms anyway. So, like, this that was just one reason. Um, another is just there's so much um, there's so much uh, in our culture, sort of. Uh, you know, whether it's th- that that make pigs a common analog for us or stand-ins for us like whether it's Christ casting out demons and a herd of pigs or whether it's like you know Orwell and Animal Farm pigs are sometimes they, they're like the common stand-in for us um, and I think it's because they're just so the opposite like they're not, nothing about them is beautiful nothing about them is constructive they're just things that sit there and eat and are stationary for the most part um, they're filthy animals so it's there's a I don't know, there's a lot of irony there. And the idea that they're just... 
that our that, that our fates are somehow a, 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 a being decided out there by these disgusting beasts. Um, there's something interesting about that. It's not the whole answer, um, and it could have worked probably with any other a lot of other animals, but that's what went into that. I liked it. <laughs> um, now, what would you say you're involved with so many portions of the filmmaking process? You're an actor, you're a director. Um, what would you say is your favorite part about the filmmaking process? Um, well, I, I mean, I can't, I can't separate writing from directing. Okay. Um, so I would say that. That's that's the thing that I. That's that's the only real thing that I. No, that's not true. I, I really. That's my most passionate part. Did you say enjoy? Probably. I hope I don't you know. enjoy your job. <laughs> no, I absolutely do. I'm just trying to think what I enjoy the most because I really enjoy music as well. But um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the best guy to be doing any of these things. So oh. I just. Uh, I just enjoy. So you're involved with the music of the film. Uh huh. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I did the whole score. The whole score. Oh wow. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I've read before that you're diehard to want to keep into the indie film scene. You don't want to go Hollywood. Is this true? Uh, partly true. Okay. I Mostly don't for care about the independent film scene. Oh, okay. All, but I don't. Uh, there's no common ground between me and conventional film finance, so okay. uh, I'll have to just forge a, a new way to to do it, which will be independent. But um, I don't. I actually don't know how it all works. With independent film, because they seem okay. to be like just cheaper versions of the same thing for the most part, mm. or sometimes, not always. That's so, not true. I shouldn't say that. But so you independently finance your own films? Uh, I'm gonna try. Okay. Yeah. So that's the career course you decided on, and you're gonna stick to it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it doesn't. I don't have any other options. I, gotcha. I don't have a. I, I can't let. I can't let film finance touch the story, and there's no way to. Yeah. To go out there and. Them not touch it. So. so I also had come across that you had worked with um, Ryan Johnson for uh-huh. Looper. Yeah. Talk maybe a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean he's he's been a friend for a few years, and he was nice enough to show me the script when he finished, and we talked about it. And uh, that's that's more or less the end of it. We just you know exchanged some notes. We, there was I was working on some uh, uh, visual effects for a project I was trying to get made. And he saw some of it and, and thought it would be a good idea to include it in, in his film because he had this one part that was meant to be a bit separate from everything else. Um, it had to do with um, people's memories being erased and, and rewritten. And so, like, you know, uh, I think, that, you know, like the lead character's wife is, is killed and then she gets erased from time and something. And it would be, there was meant to be this fog that in his head it would consume her and then she would be replaced with something else when the fog receded. Um, so we were playing with all of these ideas of what that would actually look like because it couldn't be fog, it had to be something else and so I came up with some stuff that he wanted to do and I don't know, things got a little bit difficult because the, the way that you know their whole effects workflow was over there in Asia except for this one little pocket was, which was me and yeah. it was going to be difficult to integrate everything together. Uh, we could have probably done it, but it just sort of seemed like this may be more trouble than it's going to be worth. Okay. So uh, in, in the end, he wound up not needing those scenes anyways because he found a way to do it through performance, which was probably the better choice. Gotcha. So. Um, jumping real quick back to Upstream Color, um, the editing decision, did you have... 
you edit the film? Uh, me and David Lowry and okay. we did it together. Yeah. And just I guess layering the stories you kind of already did on the script side and the writing. Uh -huh. But a lot of the edits either they're quick edits or they the pieces of the story are like fit in just so well. Can you talk maybe a little bit about how you did that? Or is just what, something you do? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. If you can be more specific, I can probably um, speak to it. trying to remember a specific scene. I guess um, one of the stories that really struck me was um, when I think it was this guy's wife had an asthma attack yeah. and had basically been carried out in a gurney. Then you go back to a happier time. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of, it's not really cross cutting, but just, I guess, rearranging it, yeah. rearranging the story, telling it from a different perspective. Yeah. No, I mean, that, it was, I mean, it was always intended to be that way. Um, I actually, I rigged up a system where, um, well, I ran through that with the actors and basically told them, look, we're going to do the scene no less than 20 or 30 times. We're going to do the exact same scene, except every time we're going to change out your, your t-shirt, we're going to change your hair, you're going to say this line in the hallway instead of out there in front of the door, and then I want to start mixing up the lines. And so that's what we did. We ran through it. Like probably, probably didn't take longer than two or three hours, but I mean, it was like, I, I left, they were great. That's Carolyn and, and Frank, uh, and they were all into it, but I basically said, look, we're going to get so sick of this because we're going to do this a million times, and that's what we did. But the, 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 the you know, the, the hope was that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna remember this the way you remember things with it's gonna be fractured and you're not gonna remember if your hair was up or down or what you said exactly but there's gonna be certain moments that are gonna keep repeating and those are the ones you're gonna suspect um, there was some truth in or, or not um, and so uh, I don't know the editing was just a reaction to that like it needed to be fractured because the shooting was fractured so the action was fractured so yeah good answer hey thanks <laughs> So you also acted in uh, Upstream Color, uh -huh. and is that just something you like to do? You like to jump in front of the camera as well? Um, it's definitely not the most important thing to me, uh, and it's it started out of necessity. And I don't know when you're making a film at this level, you sort of the number of people that you don't have to worry about their schedules that yes. becomes a big deal if you can eliminate it by one. And you know, I haven't worked a lot with actors, so to be able to be in a scene mm -hmm. and get that bit of information that you get when you're provoking someone and they're provoking you and you're reacting, there's there's a layer of information there that's not always available outside. So it, it makes it can make it a little bit easier. And then I don't know. I really I really like this story. I yeah. did I did. If I could be in it, I wanted to be in it. Was there ever a scene that was a challenge? Uh, that you wanted to get something right, maybe something with the lighting, the sun. Oh yeah, gosh. I, I know, know that's usually the most painful time is to wait for that magical hour. Or so. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's a scene that wasn't painful. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if a specific one. Equally painful. <laughs> yeah, they're all pretty equally painful. Um, no, I mean dragging her through the rain. That was not fun. Mm. There's a lot of stuff like that. What's the best part about coming out to South by Southwest or any of the film festivals you have been playing at and getting to talk to press, getting to talk to audience members, the Q&As and that kind of stuff, the feedback that you've been getting? Um, you know, I think uh, this film 
has a certain ambition to it that's just a bit different than typical. So I think it was always going to be divisive in some way, or at least that's what I expected. And I think that's what we saw when you know we first started playing at Sundance. Um, you know, the people that were recognized what it was trying to do, and then maybe judged it on that, they had one reaction. But I know that people who maybe had different expectations and it didn't meet those, it, it was just trying to do something else, you know, that's going to go that way. But so this is always, in my mind, I, I, I hoped for, and I think this is what has happened, is that it's the conversation. And we, we had a beginning of the conversation, and now it's progressing along, regardless of whether, you know, people think it's a good or a bad film. I think we're at a point now where nobody's walking into it without understanding what it's trying to do, or at least a version of what it's trying to do. Like, nobody's sitting down and going, great, thrill me, like, show me your pig movie. Like, <laughs> they know that this is going to be something to yeah. experience or be immersed in or to solve or puzzle through. Like, they get um, the nuance. So, um, it's it's really sort of, I mean, it's satisfying to... Uh, for it to be judged according to to what its ambitions, mm-hmm. and then at that point, if somebody says you know doesn't like it, I, I fully you know that's yeah. that's part of it. But um, it's it's good to know that I think it's working. I think the conversation's progressing. So you like challenging your audience. I like challenging myself. I like as yeah. an audience member, I I need to be challenged, or else I mean yeah. I have a hard time watching movies. I, I, there's not a lot going on, so yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, that's part of you know, that's part of narrative. I think it's got to be that way. Yeah. All right. I think that's good. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank okay. you so much. That was Monica Castillo talking to Shane Carruth about the film Upstream Color, which is currently in theaters and slowly expanding across the country to even more cities. So check and see if it's playing in your area. As always, you can contact the show by emailing Let's Get Real at filmgeekradio.com. You can also comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com and go there to find show notes for each episode. Don't forget, if you like the show, to subscribe through iTunes. Be sure to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix and The Thin Place. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Let's Get Real. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!